right, let's try this again, ladies and gentlemen. He's Tim Johnson. I am Chris Ruddick, and this is For Love of Code. We're bringing you all things software-related from around the interweb, talking about current events, throwing in a little witty banter, and perhaps some uh, unsolicited advice. So uh, this show is brought to you by Prime3 Software, where Tim and I work. We uh, develop software every single day, almost at a swear word, and... Uh, here we are. How are you doing, Tim? I'm I'm making it, man. Outstanding. Doing well. So, the internet continues to give and give. My question for you is: Have you seen the video of the monkey riding on a motorcycle that tries to kidnap a baby? No, I did. No, I, did I hear about it? <laughs> what? Now I got to go find it. Just when you think you've reached the outer reaches of the interwebs. It just continues to grow in great expanse like our universe. Yes, there is a monkey in a foreign country, I assume, riding down the street on a motorcycle, jumps off the motorcycle, tries to grab a young child and drags it down the street approximately 20 feet before uh, the family stops it and it runs off. So, so many questions. One, why is the family just like, Oh, there's that monkey again. Like this happens all the time. Two, why does the monkey have a motorcycle? <laughs> Three, what's he gonna do with this child? Like, it's um, you know, if you're ever uh, if you ever just find yourself in this place where you're thinking, you know, I've I've probably seen it all. You know, wait five minutes. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> like I'm watching it now, and uh. It's not a real motorcycle. Let's just put that put it out there. Like it's monkey sized motorcycle. Well, no, that's not like a Kawasaki or anything. But <laughs> well, I was thinking more like a like a moped or something like that. But wow, that yeah, the monkey, a monkey. I mean, the monkey's about the same size as the kid. Yeah, and he has bad intentions. <laughs> so what's new in your world? Read anything good lately? Uh, not. Uh... Not particularly. Still trying to recover from uh, what I saw on Summit Online. I, the person actually reached out to me. I was like, hey, if there's anything you want to know about, like it'd be cool to have a link to all the talks because you know they had stuff in there about being learning and um, uh, data streaming and top, those those kinds of topics that it's like I, I don't have a for them right now, um, but I know... We will. Um, this is the uh, Amazon Web Services Summit that you talked about last time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was awesome. They're doing it again in August, I think. That that they're supposed to have new new content. I'm sure Werner Vogels and Andy Jassy will do their same uh, part. It wouldn't surprise me if it was recorded, but. Um, <laughs> Well, I have to say, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last time, but, um, you know, I did enjoy that segment and I did really enjoy just the, um, the gentle push, maybe sales pitch, um, that, that he put out to say, you know, there's a, there are a lot of businesses on the cloud. Um, the, the cost of hesitation is, is large. And, um, if, if you're not considering a cloud strategy, then you are, you are, um, a walking dinosaur. I think you said um, you're, you're defying gravity. Yeah, that's uh, what, yeah, that was Jassy's terms. Well, I read a good article yesterday that I uh, wholeheartedly agreed with. I don't, I don't have a hard time kind of copying to this, but it says 
good artists borrow, great artists steal. And, um, you know, speaking about code examples and um, uh, the, the pervasiveness of, you know, finding a solution online and integrating it into uh, your own project and calling it the solution your own. Um, I think stealing is a, is a tricky word because, um, you know, anytime you say you stole something, it implies that you're, you're doing wrong, but is it, I'll ask you, is it wrong to steal using air quotes to steal from, uh, an open source repository and, um, what, you know, what, what's the strategy for, for, uh, community sourced code i mean i don't think it's i i wouldn't say it's stealing at all um i mean i i think the the idea of stealing would be if you uh you know hacked your way into something to figure out how something works maybe if you um, took it from your last job yeah and carried it to your next job well i mean even that to me while it's I guess it's technically unethical. I mean, it's still lessons learned. I mean, code's code. Um, I mean, if you're not if you're not using the proprietary nature of the code you wrote in in that way, but I mean, if you have some some um, uh, well, like for example, <laughs> it's funny. I'm looking at a I'm looking at a stack or um internet meme that says uh, the last book you'll ever need, and it's uh somebody's Photoshop that I'm sure I'm certain it says, uh, it's, um, what does this look like? I'll have to share it with you. It's in it, the, the book title is copying, pasting from stack overflow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, that's, I've kind of view that you, I feel, I feel like if you're code, um, like again, if it's not the proprietary, but it's more of a, you know, how do you, how do you do a, a for loop? over using a stream or, or using using a stream instead of a for loop um being familiar with java um you know those kinds of things i don't see that as stealing um i mean we're all kind of creatures of habit we all have shortcuts um you know we had a previous conversation about um uh you know editing this vi these videos and things and you really are looking for time savers I mean, your keyboard shortcuts are time savers. Um, if you have any, what they call live templates um, in IntelliJ, if you have any of that stuff that you can readily copy paste and use it, you know that the goal, the goal is to get the logic down, not necessarily the, you know, the how. Uh, you know, it's a slippery slope. I don't think anybody owns a language, um, you know, one could probably make a debate around Oracle and I won't get into that one because I got strong feelings on that maybe another time. But, uh, you know, you, nobody owns an approach. So, you know, you're really, you're really, um, you know, is, is your, is your intellectual product, um, you know, at what point does that belong to you? And then, um, you know, if you put it out on, uh, an open source forum, like a stack overflow, do, you know, you've, you've obviously proactively ceded control to that. So, you know, I don't think there's uh, a way to, to assign ownership in that way. I personally don't, um, I typically don't take something carte blanche that I find 
on on the internet and call it my own because I usually don't care for the implementation uh, and I want to kind of put my own bend on it. Um, so I'll, I'll start with, you know, something I find from an open source forum and then m massage it and make it fit and, you know, sometimes make it better, hopefully make it better uh, and, and make it into my own product um you know with some refactoring uh i you know i i don't just copy and paste i i put some tests around it to make sure that it's gonna perform the way i expect it to perform and often case the oftentimes the use cases that i see uh don't really apply to uh the the solutions i see don't apply to the use case that i'm looking for i i typically have something that's far more complex and this gives me a jumping off place and then I can expand upon what I find. But I, I've worked in places where we didn't have the internet and um, we had to develop software from, from our brains. And it's, I couldn't imagine doing that now. That was about uh, 15, 20 to 15 years ago. Um, I, I couldn't imagine doing that now and, and being able to show any sort of velocity because you're only as good as, um, as the resources available to you. And that could be a resource could be a conversation you could have with another developer down the hall. It could be, uh, some information that you find on, on a, um, on a technical site, like a stack overflow, it could be from open source repositories. But if, if the best you can do is, um, you know, you're only as good as, as the, the experience of, uh, that you're exposed to. So if you, if you're a, a solo programmer, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna follow the approach that you know the best. If you're a team of three, you're gonna follow the approach that the three of you, you know, have, uh, have come to agree is the best way to go about it. If you follow the approach that is the internet, you have a much broader and deeper pool to go from. So I'm looking for solutions that have been upvoted 300 times. Okay, that feels like that's the accepted solution by probably thousands of people. Um, I'm going to go with that because why should I reinvent something that that's already a solved problem? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's still the the question still in my mind circles around what what would you be best dealing um, you know, Oracle, Oracle's case with Google, you know, they said that they, they stole Java. Um, and that was a straight copy paste. Um, and I, the ramifications of that, not, notwithstanding, um, that was a straight up just, okay, you copy pasted, but was it, you know, was it technically wrong? I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I feel pretty strong that if you're not if you're not reusing proprietary information like a for loop is a for loop is a for loop and right. your for loop you might have some fancy thing that you've done exhaustive testing and found that you know I can save microseconds uh doing it this way versus that way like I think there's one programming language it might be java I don't I'm not certain that it's actually faster to loop through going backwards through the, through the array. 
versus starting from the beginning. And I think that's because the pointer is already at the end. Um, but you know, that those kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, I, I, you know, as you were talking, I started thinking about, well, there's, there's other, there's actual libraries and utils out there that have stolen, you know, these, these code logic or code widgets and put them in a utils class, like all the Apache commons and stuff, <clears throat> yep. you know, you could, one could say that's, you could probably prove somewhere that that's could be viewed as stolen because, you know, line for line, it matches somebody else's code somewhere else and or who stole what. And it's, ah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I said, I would unless say, it's proprietary. I, yeah. I don't and, see I'm, and I'm really, I'm trying to solve minute problems. You know, these are things that are relevant to a very specific piece of uh, a very specific problem in my source code that I'm trying to address. If I'm looking to, I can't even come up with a really concrete example, but if I'm, I'm looking to, to do a large scale solution for, um, let's just say making, making an internet connection from, from my, let's say I want to be a client of a web service and I need to make an internet connection via, uh, you know, an HTTP protocol, uh, connection, from my application to a web service and retrieve some data and bring it back in a text format. I'm not going to reach out to the internet and copy and paste every single file that I need to do that. There's no reason that one, the solution I'm writing should, should own that much, uh, software. I, I, I don't, I don't want to take ownership of, of all of of that source code that could be contained within a dependency. So a uh, dependency is a library that you would use to um, to to build uh, your program upon. So think of it as like a brick in the wall that you're building. And um, you know there are there are plenty of those libraries available to me in the open source world that I can just, list as uh, required for the application I'm building. And now I have access to that logic and I don't have to write it. And better yet, I don't have to maintain it. I don't have to be, uh, I don't have to uh, check it in and have it source controlled. I don't have to deal with it in any way, shape or form besides say, I need that logic that makes that connection for me and, and retrieves that data. And now my code is super clean because I can just say, call the library, give me the result. You know, my, my programming language or my program is now two lines long. Perfect. That's, those are the kind of programs I'd much rather write than take somebody else's code that I don't really truly understand, copy and paste every single file, and then be responsible for the upkeep of all those files. Cause in the long run, that doesn't serve me and that doesn't serve my client. And it's not going to serve the team that's going to be behind me because inevitably somebody else is going to have to see this code eventually. And they're going to be wondering what the heck is this? Why did they do it this way? And I'm not going to be able to answer any of those questions because either I'm not going to be around or I didn't understand it in the first place. Yeah. And you also open yourself up to um, security vulnerabilities and stuff like that, especially if you don't understand it. For no. sure. Um, that's a, I'm, I'm seeing something here that they're talking about. You know, buyer. I don't want to say buyer beware because that's not the right that's not the right uh, cliche, but 
um it, it's uh you definitely should know what it is now i i, I mean i could recognize an elegant solution when i see it there i don't i can't think of any one instance where i've borrowed <laughs> uh code from stack overflow or something like that where i haven't understood it because like you said at some point somebody needs to understand it and explain it and if you go back and look at your commit logs and it's like oh tim you submitted that what's this thing doing and you're like uh pull it off stack overflow um you know that that's not good <laughs> so here's a thought if you got it from stack overflow and you 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 can't really make heads or tails of it put that in a comment right above the code and say this came from stack overflow I'm not entirely sure what it does. I have tests around it that exercise it. It does what it's supposed to do. And if you need more information, go to the link and educate yourself. Yeah. Now, if I see your code coming in to like say a code review that I have to look that up, you will probably have a conversation about, okay, well, you know, what's the better way to do this? Um, because I don't want to introduce code into uh, a program that, one, nobody on the team understands at the time that it was going in. And two, we really have to have, uh, you know, confidence in the product that we're delivering. Um, and if, if, if we can't interpret what it is, then, you know, that's not something that wants to, that I want to go out the door with. I would think it as, I would think as a senior dev, you know, you'd see that code and that comment while I would applaud the fact that somebody would have put that comment in there. I, I gotta think of, I'd definitely be flagging that as, uh, can we do this differently? Can we, can we find a different methodology that we understand or time to figure out what the heck it's doing? Right. Um, but by all means, you know, give credit where credit is due. You know, if it's not your source, cite your source, yeah. give credit to the people that did it. Now there are times where, uh, I mean, you have to be a smart consumer too. So I'm not going to bring in uh, a code dependency that might be, uh, 10 megabytes when I only need one class, right? So I don't, I'm, I might need a hundred lines of code. I'm not bringing in a 10 megabyte file dependency because I don't need all that extra overhead. So in those cases, I will extract that class and make it my own. But those are very, very limited use cases. It, it all comes back to know what you're putting into your own program and if you're if you're not comfortable and confident with it, you should be writing tests anyways, but write more tests and that will help you exercise exactly what you're doing. And you'll start to understand you can use the testing to debug and walk through the code. You can do all sorts of things that will help you understand specific units of code. Um, so I, I would say be be a very conscious consumer thief of of the code that you're that you're leveraging yeah i found that i found that article and it's interesting some of the research there they're able to do and it it says um that independent research found that uh, uh stack overflow answers have been copied in other places and that one java snippet was found in over 40 answers Oh, I love that. Yeah, I see that all the time as as a big peruser of of Stack Overflow for on my on a day to day basis. Is uh, 
you'll, you'll see the same answers coming to the same questions over and over again. The real snarky people just put a link to the, to the other, to, to their last post. But um, yeah, I'll see that pretty commonly where it's, yeah, here's an original idea that I thought of. No, you didn't. Yeah. No original thoughts. I don't know who said that, but I think I learned that in philosophy class or something like that, that they said that there's so many people now, there's no such thing as original thought. Like it might be original to you, but it's existed out there. Oh, we um, see that in the movies, right? I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, all the all the tropes that um, that are that are carried out in a plot line. I think there's, you know, I don't know, fifteen of them. I, I, I'm sure I have that number wrong, but uh, the, you, you'll see. You know, I've already seen this movie. I've already read this book. Yeah, it's it's basically the same plot line, just rehashed in a different way. Well, I just um, I don't know if you've ever seen Escape from New York. Um, Is that Kurt Russell? Yep, back in the day. I was gonna say it's been, um, been a yeah i think it i think that came out in like late 70s early 80s um i was born yet um that doesn't mean Maybe you can't I'm... have seen it um it was but, showing uh, in the house the day of my birth yeah um it uh it apparently there's another movie that's out that's very popular on netflix right now called uh lock up it's got um guy pierce in it and it's in space and like the president's daughter is kidnapped and he has, they're going to let him out of prison to, to free her. And if he does, then he can, then he can be released from prison. And apparently um, the creators of uh, escape from New York borrowed the idea and made lockup. So it's basically escape from New York base. Um, oh, you mean the rock with, uh, Nick Cage and 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 um, Sean Connery, same concept, right? Let him uh, out of jail. Right. That was that one has a slight twist because that one's you know, uh, you know they have hostages or they have the um, the X gas and all that fun stuff. So that's slight slightly different. But this apparently was like they even showed side oh, by <clears throat> excuse me side by side shots of of the characters and they're almost wearing identical outfits. Um, so, uh, they, they took it to, they took it to court and the original creators or whatever won. Putting um, in that maximum effort. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, back to the no original ideas. So, I mean, it's, you know, whatever you're thinking already, um, has probably already been solved. My favorite, um, my favorite post. Well, I should, that's very sarcastic to say that. Is you ask a question on Stack Overflow, and they tell you eight ways that you're doing the thing that you're doing wrong, and it's like, but you didn't answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate those. Like, hey, why you know why are you querying the database? Why don't you use JPA? That's not the answer to my question. Can can you help me figure out why I'm getting this one error? I'm I put a specific question in here. I would love an answer that addresses that question yeah that'd be great i know don't i tell me, don't tell me my mom is ugly and my dog smells bad and i should reevaluate my career choices just you know tell me how to write that sequel that'd be great yeah it's interesting I, so i'm continuing to read this article i that good artists borrow great artists steal i've always attributed that to uh, steve jobs um well they they cite him down below um I, they do, but apparently it's a Picasso quote. So I, I mean, even the phrase, <laughs> even Steve the phrase Jobs that... stole. <laughs> uh, he, was, 
It says he had a penchant for that. Uh, Apple became successful under him because they stole, incorporated, and refined. And we'll put a link to this po- uh, blog post in the uh, description of the show in case you're uh, interested in reading where we're, what we're sourcing this from. I think some of this stuff, though, you know, in the in the technology age that we have, you know, especially like when it, when I think of what Apple was able to do, you know, they 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 took ideas from all over and were able to munge them together where the people that may have had the intellectual property or something like that didn't have the vision or couldn't be sold on the vision. So it's like, uh, you know, yeah, I think different people have strengths, right? One, some folks are really good at, um, I'll say just imagining a new world. You know, they, they, they come up with ideas that no one's ever seen before. And then some people are really good at taking ideas and implementing them. And I'm, I'm one of those people that can um, see, see how something is done and try to figure out a way to do it better. But my strength is not coming up with brand new ideas. My, my, <laughs> my strength is coming up with making ideas work much, much better. And I know that. And I mean, I, and to be honest, I don't, as a, as a business owner, I don't, um, I don't try to sell people on software that that's already being written or that's already been written and is, you know, functions really well. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, try to sell somebody uh, Microsoft Excel because there's already Microsoft Excel. Like what, what could I do? <laughs> it, it's going to cost a lot of money and take a lot of time for me and my, my guys, my, my, my development team to, to write something that's comparable to Microsoft Excel. In the meantime, you have a working product. Why would I, why would I do that? So uh, we, we take a much more strategic approach to say, you know, <laughs> you're asking for Microsoft Excel, but what do you really want? Oh, you need a way to analyze the data in a different form. Okay, let's talk about some business intelligence tooling or maybe some visualization products that might meet your need. I'm wondering, you know, in the same vein, I know the, I know the article speaking of coders, but I wonder how people, some of the things that, um, that like Amazon's doing, you know, they get, <clears throat> you know, they weren't the first to a streaming platform with video. Netflix was, sure. um, well, YouTube, but to, to, to be able to stream movies and things of that nature, YouTube was really your, your own content for 10 minutes, I think was the original, uh, cut off. So now you've got, I guess the stealing of ideas, which I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, look at, I mean, all, I don't know, not all great ideas are original. I think we've, we've, we've touched on that a number of times at this point, but I look at Uber and everything was the uberfication of this and the uberfication of that. But in general, Uber took an existing product and changed the way it's delivered. So, you know, cars for hire isn't really a new thing, but direct uh, consumer to provider access of a car to hire on demand uh, with a really nice front end on it that shows you exactly where the person is and gives you the rate right there in front of you and you pay in advance. None of these things were new. They just put it all together and delivered it in a really innovative way. And 
to the point where uberfication became a word because of that innovation around an existing product or industry to to make it uh, to to reinvent it to disrupt it that was that was also the, a key term a couple of years back yeah I, I wish I could remember the the one guy who was given the talk uh, at that conference we went to for blockchain and he was talking about um, how there's a convergence of different technologies that make new technologies um, uh, possible. And I think he cited the MRI machine uh, was one of them. I forget all the technologies that had to come together to actually have an MRI machine, but the guy who built it, um, don't think it was a doctor. Um, and then, you know, he talked about, I think he talked about the first iPhone, you know, I, I <laughs> the first phones used to be bag phones and now they're, there's these little teeny things. Um, you know, the, the minification of stuff, having lithium ion batteries, LCD screens, like all those things had to come together. And once they became available, somebody else thinks of, let's glue these together and you've got chocolate in my peanut butter scenario. And next thing you go, you got a Reese's cup. So, um, but I think that's the, that's the key. That's the feeling of, of part, you know, if, if peanut butter's peanut butter's peanut butter, it's kind of my, my take on all that stuff. Um, but I do want to give one caveat. I mean, don't, I, this isn't to say that we endorse like, you know, stealing someone's intellectual property. Certainly if I've built, um, shoot, if I've built Uber, you know, don't steal Uber from me. <laughs> yeah. Lyft. <laughs> you, yeah. That's a whole different, you know, that was a whole different shop. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, um, you know, to, to go back to your original example, a for loop is a for loop is a for loop. Yeah. If you need to know how to write a better for loop, by all means, use community-based resources. But to, it's a whole other thing to go in and just rip off someone else's product and claim that as your own, and much yeah. less sell it as your own, because that's um, that's stealing. That's that's straight up stealing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure I made that delineation real clear. Um, I did want to touch on one word that we said a little bit ago, um, refactoring. Uh, that was a term that I was exposed to, uh, geez, when we started working together, uh, I, I'd never heard it before, but it made perfect sense to me. And you have a cool story about the first time you heard it. I was going to say, Ooh, 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 I got a story. So, so I started, uh, development as a, as a straight out of college, um, learn as you go on the job trainer kind of thing. And without the internet, I don't know if how far I could have gotten. I mean, I had stacks and stacks of books, but you know, you can only go so far. So I, um, I convinced my, uh, team that I wanted to go to a developers conference. Um, it wasn't something that they kind of prescribed to or anything. And I think at the time there weren't too many, I mean, there's a lot now. Um, but I, you know, the big one was Java one. They weren't going to pay, I don't know, 2,500 bucks or something like that. Plus plane ticket, plus hotel and all that fun stuff. Um, so that wasn't the case. So I went to a really small one called, uh, 
no no fluffs, just stuff because these conferences are notorious for having just thousands of vendors and you really like AWS reInvent while while AWS resources are there, I'm sure a preponderance, and I think they had 50,000 people there last year, a preponderance of those people are are vendors selling their products uh, or partnerships or whatevers. Um, and if you just want to get to, I want to understand AWS, you're going to have a, yeah, you're going to have a hard time doing that. So anyways, uh, went to a conference. They started talking about things uh all the stuff we weren't or we weren't doing at my current uh, my current uh job that we should be doing like writing tests um you know making sure you know when you and they use this term refactor and i'm like you know writing stuff down had never heard that term before either um and then i came back and i'm like oh we got to do all this stuff to my team and they're like yeah whatever um and i knew there was something i didn't there was something I missed in in writing my notes down. It was that word refactor. So I actually went to a Java users group and good luck trying to explain what a term is without knowing the term. And so I finally talked to one of the senior devs that was doing the Java users group. And I'm like, Hey, so I'm looking for this. I was like, I can't remember what the term is, but like it's change code. And then you have to write tests around it and blah, blah, blah. And the guy was like, do you mean refactor? And had this the dopiest look on his face like, you're an idiot. If if you're here, now he didn't say this, but the look on his face was like, I, wow, do you just not know what, what's going on? I'm going to need to see your badge, son. Yes. <laughs> Man card. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's, I mean, to go, kind of go back to something you said earlier, I mean, that's kind of the trouble you get into being, um, you know, a lone developer. You're not exposed to these terms. And that's what I found is my biggest hurdle in trying to do development is if you don't know the right terminology, you still can't find what you want. And you right. kind of like stumble into it. Like, <laughs> for example, today I was I couldn't remember the name of that diagram. And it's a sequence diagram, but I couldn't remember it. And so I've looked all over the place for process flows and everything else. And I'm like, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. And I don't even know how I stumbled into sequence diagram. And I'm like, ah, that's what I'm looking for. Good gosh. But ha- trying to have that conversation with somebody and you're like, hey, it's this graph with this thing that, that's got arrows and, and slots. And yeah. Um, so those. I, I had the same problem with a Gantt chart. I could not remember what the heck it was called and i was like you know that chart with the bars that stretch across and they show how much time and it took me like 25 minutes of search engineing to uh finally come across the answer isn't that the one with the circles no that would be a... <laughs> yeah, you're joking me that's a venn diagram everybody yeah got me um yeah so yeah i hadn't been exposed to the term either and uh uh it was something that um I don't know if the term had, had just kind of come into vogue when um, when when everybody was using it, but I felt like I I was uh, last to the party. I was like, what is this thing they keep talking about? And um, I'd never written automated tests either. Uh, I always had like developed my own test scripts and kind of had a, a plan for how how to execute different aspects of the code I was developing, but I'd never written formalized automated tests until we landed on that project together. Um, for the first time 
and it was uh it, yeah it was it was really a, a a renaissance in thinking for me uh to the point where um the refactoring book i've i've probably read it a couple of times at this point and i recommend it to every single um new and old developer who uh, might not have been exposed to the concept before um we'll also put a link to that in the show notes oh uh, show the book it's i see it behind you yeah, it's behind me. I don't want to turn around and grab it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's literally, um, yeah, I keep it at hand at any given time because uh, I think um, the concepts in there, you could probably dig through that book and find a, another concept that you uh, weren't familiar with or had forgotten and apply it immediately to a project that you're working on to the point where I, I think the second reading of the book, I was on another project and I was reading through it uh, in my spare time. And all of my code reviews for like four months were all things that I had read in that book. And I was like, oh, it would really be good if you uh, follow this pattern. And, uh, and you know, my, my team was like, this jerk. <laughs> like, where does he keep coming up with this stuff? But, um, you know, it, it, it strengthens your ability um, to uh, break problems down into uh, much more bite-sized pieces. And... Uh, by doing that, it it allows you to uh, keep in mind on um, how testable your code is, how con um, consumable your test is, or how consumable your code is. And when I say consumable, I mean, can you look at it and understand what it's doing at a glance? And can if I show it to Tim, can he look at it and then be able to immediately interpret it and understand, oh yeah, that's what's happening here. Um, that's, that's what I mean by consumable code. Is it written in a way that it's immediately clear what the intent of the code is and how the, the code is solving the problem? Um, so there, there was a question about, um, well, how do I know when my code needs a refactor? And my answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. All code could probably stand to have a refactor. Even even one line code, I've seen, I've seen methods that are a single line of code, and I'm like, man, they could rewrite that. That would be, <laughs> they could really clean that up. Um, so, in my opinion, uh, even even a single refactor isn't enough. I think I could write code um, and then come back to it six months later and rewrite it to make it even better. I think code. Um, I've said this before, but I think code is a living thing and needs to, and it's, and Tim said it's an art. Uh, I think, you know, you could continually refine and, and, um, hone the, the source that you're, that you're writing, uh, always aiming to make it better and refactoring is a tool in the toolbox. Um, so we've, we've talked around the word a lot. What does it mean to refactor Tim? Um, you know, making your code better, rewriting it, reimagining it, finding, uh, I hesitate to use the term design patterns, but, but, you know, applying design patterns where needed. Again, it's, it's a, it goes back to somewhat of an art form as well. Um, because you want, and this gets mixed in with I, the idea of clean code, which I don't know if we want to talk about now, but it's hard. It's hard to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's hard to kind of pull those apart because part of being clean code is part of refactoring. So the idea is you're kind of rewriting your code to make it 
better from a maintainability perspective, a usability perspective, a readability perspective, a, a testing perspective, possibly a performance uh, uh, gains as well. Um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into like what is uh, refactoring. So the definition is a disciplined technique for restructuring an existing body of code, altering its internal structure without changing its external behavior. So, right. um, I think the key there is you have to start with tests. Yeah. And tests will ensure that the external behavior is unchanged. And what that means is if, if I have some data going in, I expect these results to come out. Now, no matter what is inside the box, the goes ins and the goes outs remain the same. And as long as they remain the same, anything that happens inside the box is considered success. So I can continually refine and refine and reorganize and rebuild portions of the code as long as that contract that I've established in my tests is still being satisfied, I know that I'm on the right track. Yeah, I mean, from a from a an actual like concrete example, like if you're writing a method for add or subtract or something like that, you pass in two numbers. Um, you know, the output should be exactly what you expect. If it's going to add or subtract the two, what happens in the middle? is irrelevant to the result, but that's the part you can refactor. Um, I'm struggling right now to think of us of a complex scenario that would get, you know, refactored without like looking at some code. Um, but you know, like they have, they have things called God classes where a class will do everything and it hundreds and hundreds of lines of code. Like those are all what they call code smells. Those are things that those are rife for for refactoring. Put them out, and that's what that book um, talks about. You know how how to handle a God class. That's that's one of the chapters in there. Um, you know if you you're doing a bunch of conditional logics where you have eighty seven if of, if then a else nested, <laughs> a lot of nested complexity like that. Yeah, yeah. Th those are all candidates for refactoring. Now the how. That book gives you step by step. It doesn't tell you, and it gives you, you know, five different ways to handle, you know, problem X, and you, know, you get to pick which one kind of works for you. Um, I believe, if I'm looking at this right, I think there's refactoring.com. We can include this that talks about Martin Fowler, who came up with the with the book. Um, I believe there's a there's a Clicky Fun web edition somewhere online catalog. Yeah, can... I think if you go to Fowler's website, uh, he, he does, and he used to maintain refactoring, a refactoring website that was, you know, a companion to that book yeah. that was also very good. Yeah, it's refactoring.com. Yeah, and I think if I had, uh, if I had a young developer uh, who I was mentoring, I would say those two books would be the first two to buy. I mean, buy, like put them on your desk yes. and like keep them open uh, read a chapter a day kind of kind of use of those books um, because I think the principles like you said uh, they, they work hand in hand and um, uh, I mean when once I and I was, I was later in my career um, where I, I 
really, you know, dove in on those books. But once I did that, I saw a huge, huge improvement in, in the source that I was, that I was writing. Well, you don't even have to, I mean, you come at it from a, the idea of, of, um, simplicity. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of one of the, one of the things we talked about in one of our other podcasts, like trying to be agile. And that was one of the, one of the principles of agile is you kind of want a, a nice, concise, beautiful, uh, solution to, to a problem. Um, because, you know, and I think in a clean code perspective, once it's boiled down to its simplest form, you know, E equals MC squared. I mean, that's, I I've seen the calculus that comes up with E equals MC squared. And it, I mean, it feels like 18 whiteboards <laughs> to, to come up with that calculus, but you know, the simplicity of E equals MC squared says it all. So, I mean, if you can get your code down, to a point where it's you know, effectively human readable. Well, imagine, imagine the the capabilities you're able to, to deal with, how, how much easier it is to maintain, how easy it is to bring on new developers to the project. I mean, it, there's so many other benefits in order in coming up with a simple, elegant solution. Yeah, I would say take a look at, um, look at some code that you wrote two weeks ago. Uh, that's long enough for you you haven't have you haven't touched it in two weeks that's long enough for your you know to kind of pass out of your your short-term memory um when you look at it do you immediately know what's going on yeah if if you know you start to see uh what we refer to as magic numbers in there you know like uh you know if if the counter is greater than 17 then do this why 17 like that doesn't make at first glance, you're going to have to think, why did I put 17 in there? You can refactor and clean that up by just putting a, a nice name on the number 17. So you could say like uh, um, threshold for invoice equals 17. All right. So if the counter is greater than threshold for invoice, then do the action. Well, now it's very clear to me that the whole reason that I'm tripping into this new bit of logic is because I need to write an invoice. And that's all just, that's just because I named something differently. And those are the kinds of principles that, that these kinds of books will touch on. But I think the, the hard and fast test for me is everything, everything is up for refactoring. I, I, I have a hard time, um, <laughs> uh keeping keeping the scope of my uh feature development small because I, I i never see a problem that i can't fix it's i always find some code oh i should i should uh i should work on that right now but that's not even like that's not even the thing that I, i'm supposed to be working on it's just me trying to find my way to to find the root of the problem um so I, I I have to consciously kind of dial it back because I would refactor all day. It's 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 probably one of my most favorite things to do besides deleting code. Yeah. But that's that's what you do <laughs> a lot of is you remove code that is duplicated or is obsolete or could be made obsolete. Um, and and that's why I get a lot of I I used to get a lot of joy in writing a lot of code. Now I get more joy in deleting code because I know I've made it much more readable, much more maintainable, much more. Um, uh, efficient, much, a much better product, uh, for the long run. Well, it's less to maintain as well. Yep. You got less opportunities for bugs. Um, less, you know, just less of everything. 
build build smaller, all that fun stuff. Yeah, there's a metric that was popular with management years ago that and probably still is at a lot of places that um, you measure the, the productivity of your development team by the number of lines of code that they've written. And um, it's it's a false metric because I could write a lot of code that might not do half the things that it's supposed to do, or I could write a whole, you know, a whole lot more efficient code that is a fraction of the size that that you know meets all your needs. Um, so it's it's really not a fair fair thing to measure a team by the the number of lines of code that they produce. Yeah, I went to a, a conference where one of the developers giving a talk. He's a consultant. And he was subject. He like he had to school up the the team or the managers that were using funky metric like that because they started to freak out. Started deleting a bunch of stuff. He was doing this code refactoring and started seeing a lot of duplicate code and things of that nature. And it was like, hey, just write one method or write one object or something like that and put all the logic in one place. And you know, Bob's your uncle, and so they started freaking out because. You know, he was he was chopping away thousands and thousands of lines of code. There, and, the new guy, he's tearing yes, apart our exactly. And it, well, it was all the product managers and stuff. Like they, that was their metric. And he's like, "This is a bad way to measure code." Um, you know, the the efficiency of your developers. And I think in that same talk, I think he said that a, a good a good developer only writes something like. 12 to 15 lines of code a day or something like that because new code code, yes that because they they are taking the time to think about well what's the impact down the line is this is this code um duplicated anywhere can i do you know some of the stuff you're talking about um and then I, i think some of it's also the they call it the boy scout principle where you know always try and leave the code you're in in a better in a better state. So, um, yeah, if you're somewhere that's measuring code, I ha- measure measuring performance by the number of lines of code you write. <laughs> Brush up your resume, and <laughs> go find something else, because you're you you can't actually be happy, or feel or feel uh uh challenged enough. I would say that's how they're measuring performance i mean i i'd almost go for how many how much how much code have you written that didn't produce a bug the better metric if you're going to measure something like that show me how many tests you've written show me your test coverage i would much see your test coverage metrics than the number of lines of code that you have and there's uh, well one thing one more thing we should probably touch on is um there there are a number of tools available that um that do code analysis for you and they'll speak to, they will give you quality metrics. Now, some will go so far as to assign a grade that, you know, to say, you know, this is an A plus project. Um, you know, take that for what it's worth. Those those numbers are as good as your trust in the tooling, but uh, they will assign you some more quali- quantitative uh, metrics um, that, you know, will tell you things like, what's your code coverage? You know, how, how much of the source code is, um, is running under test and um we're we're looking for a threshold on our projects of around 80 percent. we want to make sure that 80 percent of the source that we're writing is is covered by test um and i've i've seen um 
places that are even much higher, uh, you know, up in the 90s. Um, and then you get into things like cyclomatic complexity and tangle factor and um, all, all sorts of um, nuanced metrics. Um, you can't live and die by one specific metric, but it, what they will show you is, um, hey, maybe this is a place where we have a problem, okay? I've got very low code coverage. I have a whole lot of complexity within this class and uh, it's got a very high tangle factor and it's got a lot of duplication. That's probably one that I wanna take a look at. This one over here that has very low complexity, no duplication, uh, and, and is completely tested, I'm gonna leave that one alone. So uh, the metrics will help narrow you down to the places that um, that will, that that probably are a good candidate for, for taking a look at. And odds are you're gonna find bugs that you didn't know were there, and you're gonna find all sorts of inefficiency that, that ultimately can lead to uh, a better um, performance of, of your application in the long run. So yeah, all those tools, <clears throat> you know, you know, to kind of underscore what you had said, you know, all those tools are, are, you know, you don't have to necessarily agree with them. You know, Hey, you know, I, I have a field that's called ID things tripping and saying I need a longer field. Okay. Um, good, right. good to know that, you know, you're following some, some path, but I'm, I'm going to override that one. Um, you have that capability to kind of, you know, massage tools to fit your need, but at least it's alerting you, Hey, we follow a certain standard and that standard is your field name need to be, I think it's five characters or something like that. ID just happens to be one of those fields. You can't accommodate either override the rule or agree to disagree or <laughs> you know, some, something of that nature. So, I mean, I, some, some of these things are very opinionated, but you know, they're, they're there to help. I help you not tell you exactly. This is how you do it. And you, you know, you're not doing it right or something like that. So alert you. Yeah. yeah. If the goal is to write a better product, yeah. these are tools to help you write a better product. The rules that Tim's mentioning are, uh, uh, curated list of best practices that um, have come from a bunch of different sources. Um, uh, some of them in the security realm, some of them from research uh, and academia. Uh, these are kind of accepted industry best practices that it identifies, hey, you know, you're kind of doing things in a different way. Maybe you might want to, you know, align back with the, with, with the best practices. But Tim's right, you know, not every finding is a finding, you know, every finding could be a false positive. You, the, these things are really just designed to identify where to put your effort. I've, I've even seen one that will tell you based on a number of different factors, this is the class that you want to, that you want to work on first. Yeah. Because the level of effort to make the most impact is, is a very low to high ratio. It'll take you not much time to make a solution that will have a high impact on the overall quality of the product. So start here. That's beautiful. You know, that's, that's a really helpful metric to, you know, when I'm at the end of my code sprint, uh, help me, you know, fill my time with making the code base a better place. And I, I've, I've learned a lot from 
just going through the results of these findings and uh, they'll, they'll make recommendations to you to say, hey, you know, you're doing it this way. Um, the industry best practice recommends that you do this. And it might show you uh, new approaches that you you might not be familiar with or might not have been exposed to before. So you, you have to keep an open mind. You have to always be prepared to refactor, uh, do it early and often, uh, start with tests, expand your test coverage as much as you can. Uh, the, I, I have never wasted time writing a test. I can, I can certify that right now. Uh, so um, if you're, if you're, starting to take a look at your code and you're trying to think, you know, is this something that, um, you know, by whatever means you've identified, Hey, I think this code needs a little bit of love. Uh, certainly, um, start with your tests, look to refactor and pick up a couple of these books and, and familiarize yourself with some of these patterns, because I think they'll really pay you some dividends. Yeah. And you'll definitely see, you know, long-term benefits. Um, you'll find you have less bugs find that it's easier to write you'll find it's easier to test because a lot of these refactoring things are designed to make your code cleaner to ultimately get your tests in there and if you're not writing tests <laughs> bad developer not writing tests but that's a whole i, I feel like that's a whole other yeah that might podcast. be a feature we could do a whole broadcast on that by itself yeah all right. Very cool. Well, we appreciate everyone for joining us tonight. Uh, this was Tim Johnson. I'm Chris Ruddick. This was For Love of Code. You can find us at forloveofcode.com. That's F-O-R, loveofcode.com. We're on the YouTube. We're on the, all the places where you suck down your podcasts. Uh, we're on all the socials. Reach out to us. Join in the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Um, that's it for now. Get back to work. Have fun. Catch you later. See you later.